Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. And if you enjoy listening to our show, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button on the episodes. Finally, aside from our podcast, our day job here at RiderFlex is to provide recruiting, staffing, and consulting services. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get the information on the services we provide. And now, a quick word from our sponsor and friends at Marketing 360. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Uh, man, glad to have you on the RiderFlex podcast. Should have had you on sooner. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. This is fun, man. I'm really excited for you guys. I'm going to, I got to mute my phone real quick because I have a feeling it always happens right when you're in the middle of something fun, you know, like, all right. So I'm all yours. No notifications, no ringtones, nothing. <laughs> Can you play that guitar, by the way? Can you, is that, is that, one is that right just there? Yeah. I'm sure can. Really? Okay. I didn't know. Were you in a band or anything in high school or, or what? What's the deal? Yeah, I, I dabbled a little bit. I had a couple guys we tried to get something going with, but uh, you know, just the timing with everyone didn't work out. I really am like a solo artist. I write a lot of music and I play for myself and uh, played a couple paid gigs back in the day. Is that right? You had, you played some, you played some, uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, you can pick up a lot of chicks playing on stage, you know. Yes, you can. Actually, that's how I met my uh, that's how I met my uh, my ex-wife. <laughs> uh, man, ex-wife. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But you're single now. You're single living in the Denver metropolitan area. You know, you, you're on dates all the time. What are you on the social sites? You go online and you swipe or what, how do you do it these days? I don't know. I'm an old guy, man. I mean, I've been single for a couple of years now and uh, I've done the, the app thing. Um, you know, there's a couple ones out there that are okay, but honestly, I'm old school too. I, uh, you know, when I was with my, with my ex-wife, we, we met the old fashioned way, met her at a bar. Right. Yeah. I met her you actually, actually, you actually... I was playing my, my first paid gig. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. You, you know, you're like, yeah, I'm the famous star. I'm the famous artist that was on stage now did you sing too or no yeah so i i sing i, I write i write a lot of my own music and i grew up uh -huh. in the hudson river valley so that's that's near it's not too far it's about 45 minutes from uh bethel woodstock area so i grew up around some influential artists you know the levon helms was in the area and a lot of these guys were passing through like bob dylan and crosby stills and nash and all those guys so i grew up with a, a lot of that americana influence you know and uh so really heavy influence on on songwriting and just to me like i love the idea of just playing the guitar being able to just have an instrument be able to make that music right there for you and be able to you know express express what's going on right so you grew up uh now on the new york side or on the jersey side where, where, where are you at there with hudson river valley yeah, yeah go ahead. I'm, on, I'm from the new york side Okay. Uh, all right. And tell me about your family a little bit. Let's talk about you sure. when you were growing up, right? Cipriani, yeah, sure. that, Cipriani, that's Italian, right? I'm assuming. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so 
nothing, nothing uh, too crazy. I mean, my father's a carpenter. My mother, my mother's a nurse. Um, okay. Grew up in a family where I just work really, really hard and and uh, provide for your family and be a good person. You know, built on principles of honor and integrity and respect. Respect's a big thing uh, where I came from. And and uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of blue collar type jobs, man. A lot of a lot of okay. carpenters, plumbers, and mechanics. And uh, I was a Please. carpenter for. Uh, apprentice to my father for many years okay. and uh and yeah what can i say i mean the can Hudson you uh, can you can place. you like can you like build stuff can you like if you if you need to put up some sheetrock and like you oh, know yeah. i don't know put in a new door and stuff okay can you do that type of stuff yes yeah, steve if you need some help man i can come by help you <laughs> I, I mean, i'm sure. such a, i'm such a non-handy guy i mean i can barely change out a light switch right i mean you know <laughs> you're modest <laughs> I, mean, I can barely do that stuff uh okay so when you were any siblings by the way yeah i have one younger brother okay all right. Is he in the trade? Is he a construction guy or what, what's he do? Yeah, he is. He is a courier for the UPS. Okay. All right. Is your mom and dad still alive, still in uh, New York? Healthy and happy. I'm actually getting ready to go see him tomorrow. Oh, really? Flying out? Okay. A little, yeah. little, little trip to New York for some family time. Yep. Going to take the, going to take the little kiddo out to see her, see her cousins and her, uh, her Mima and Peepock. Okay. You have one, one girl. Mm-hmm. Little Eleanor. Eleanor. Okay. Joy. How how old is she? Ella turns four this September. Ooh, four. Okay. That's a good age, yeah. right? You know, they can, yeah. they can kind of get stuff off the cabinet. They're, they're, they're not in diapers. They can kind of do a few things on their own. Somewhat starting to get self-sufficient, yeah. right? <laughs> she's, she's at a dangerous age. Yeah, dangerous. Yeah, that's a good word. Watch. <laughs> uh, so, 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 when you were growing up, though, you, yeah. your dad was in construction. You, like you said, a lot of blue collar uh, mm -hmm. uh, type stuff from your family. By the way, was your dad second generation, third generation? How did did, did you track anything going back to you know you know Italy or anything like that? Do you know any history? Just curious. Yeah, my my mom actually did a lot of the research. She did the ancestry.com thing and mm. uh my father is uh third generation uh okay Italian. yep they, okay. they came off they came off the boat squeezing olives <laughs> yeah and they just migrated out of the city and you know there's there's a lot more job opportunity if you were willing to work real hard upstate i mean it was it was really rural back in the day where i grew up um, yeah yeah really country so you know, you had to be, you had to be good with your hands. And because of the amount of people uh, coming out of New York city, you also had to be sharp. You know, it's a very competitive edge coming out of, coming out of New York. It's a, it's a unique dynamic, you know, being from the country in New York state, uh, only an hour and a half, two hours from New York city, uh, creates this dynamic where you have to be good at both worlds. You know, mm -hmm. you gotta be, you gotta have a little street smarts, but you also gotta have some grit, you know? Really great point, Charlie. And that's probably uh, what shaped your your people skills and your EQ a lot, right? When you were growing up, that, that is a really good point. If you are an hour and a half, two hours from a major city, yeah, out, out in the country, so to speak, you know, it is a different mentality, different personalities, different styles, different speed. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you got to be able to 
you know, change your game a little bit when you go an hour and a half the other direction. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You can probably do that, especially living in Colorado now, which is a much slower speed than New York. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, especially if you go into the city, right? You kind of yeah. got to get your game face on. I can just see you. I can see you in Grand Central Station and you're just like, okay, let me. Yeah. Let me get ready. I'm about to step out on the street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like my family, we really didn't go to the city that often. Uh, oh, you did? Okay. I mean, we'd go, it wasn't like something we would frequent all the time. You know, we'd go down and, and visit museums and like, you know, go and do a couple of things here and there, but uh, it wasn't yeah. something we did like on a weekly or monthly basis. It wasn't until I got to about, you know, my early twenties, uh, I got a job down in New York city for the okay. first time and I would commute. And uh, that's a very common where I grew up. People would commute an hour and a half, two hours each way every Oof. day. Oof. And I did that for a couple of weeks and I was like, all right, I'm going to take the train. And so the Metro North runs right through Grand Central Station. And so I would take the, uh, uh, I'd take the Metro North either out of the Poughkeepsie train station or the Pauling train station and uh, hop on that. And I, hop on the four line out of Grand Central down to Union Square and then walk the rest of the way to Chelsea and uh, had a job down there for a little while. And I loved it. I loved Did it. you? Yeah, I, I just embraced it, man. I loved, I loved, you know, grabbing the New York Times at a Grand Central and a cup of coffee and, you know, doing my commute and the hustle and bustle. But, uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't lighting the world on fire financially or anything. So it's, it's a struggle, you know, it's very expensive. And so oh, yes. it's, a lot of people also think that New York City is a very cold place and uh, maybe in parts of Manhattan. But the reality is, is that you really need to rely on other people if you are not making a lot of money. Uh, and so it's very intermingled. It, everyone is heavy on relationships down there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I made some really good relationships. You know, I pick things up quick, learn how to survive. And I was sleeping on a friend's couch half the week. So I didn't have to commute back and forth every single day. That's okay. Yeah, See, there you go. You're, you you're, you're, you're adaptive and you hustle. That's what I love about you. Let's let's. Okay. So you're in New York now. Is this um, before college or after? Cause you went to see you right at some point. Walk, walk us through yeah. a little bit of how did you get to see you? Yeah. So I guess it's, I don't know. Eclectic the right word, but I, you know, I have a unorthodox, um, process after high school I didn't go to college right after high school um okay you know I, I was taking college courses in, in high school but I I didn't know really what I wanted to do I was thinking you know I think I might want to be a teacher I love I've always loved helping people I loved you know making people feel good and supporting people and, and what they need help with um okay. but I didn't really know specifically what job I wanted I was like you know I don't think teachers the right thing for me um and so I, uh, I was a carpenter for about four years after high school. I worked for my father. Okay. Okay. And, then, and then I decided, you know, um, <clears throat> I want to do something else. Uh, it was, it's backbreaking work. You know, I, oh, uh, anyone who does it, God bless you, you know, who does it full time every day for a living. It's, uh, you know, <clears throat> it's one of the hardest jobs out there, uh, building houses in the elements every day. But um, I, I was still drawn towards helping people in different ways. And I actually got a degree in natural wellness and, um, and preventative health care from uh, an institute in Albany, New York. I see. And so yeah, I went around and uh, I got a specialization in uh, a type of uh, massage therapy called neuromuscular therapy. So oh, okay. I would go around and help people with physical issues. And I did that for 
about three, four years and, uh, and then kept, you know, I, I'm a sponge for knowledge. Like I love learning. I love experiencing. I don't like sitting still. And I was, I, I kind of saw into the future and I was like, you know, I'm going to plateau in this. And unless I'm going to build some big, you know, company that's teaching advanced massage to early massage therapists or working and building a holistic clinic that has all of these other things going on in it. Um, that really wasn't what I was driving to do. I loved individually helping people, but there was something missing. And so I, that's when I decided to go and get a degree in environmental work. Um, and I, I ended up at CU and that was 23. So I, I went back to college, the local community college and, you know, banged out some A's there in, in two semesters and transferred to CU and packed my car and drove across the country. And I guess the rest is history from there. Why did you uh, pick CU? Why Colorado? Did you know anybody here? I mean, it, it's, uh, how do I explain this? I'm big on energy, right? Like I can feel it. And it's also a part of the healing practice I was doing, you know, when you're working with people, um, you can kind of feel what's going on with them. And then I would identify that and figure out ways of how I can help them based on their physical issues. And a lot of times energy is a part of that. Right. Um, okay. Okay. And so I went to see you to visit for fun around my birthday. Um, my birthday's the end of May. And, uh, I just love the energy of Boulder. It was 2009, 2008, uh, you know, New York, the energy was just really low. You know, we were coming out of, mm -hmm. you know, the big crash and mm -hmm. I was like, you know what, uh, you know, and also my, my healing practice, you know, people weren't, people were pivoting how they were spending their money. So okay. I had clients that were offering for me to come and stay with them and like stay in their guest house. And they were going to give me a, a, you know, basically a retainer, a monthly fee to just work on them. And I would go and do that for other people in the community and people wanted to pay me cash. And then all of a sudden it was just credit cards. Everyone was just putting everything on debt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, New York was really stressed, you know, it's a highly competitive area. And so they're really sensitive to these dips in the market. I came out to Boulder, Colorado, and there was none of that. It was, it was rainbows and lucky charms, man. Uh, <laughs> also, it's a student. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to school and learn something really unique and something cool and something more holistic about the environment and all of that. And, uh, and I was like, I'll figure it out. And met some beautiful people and you know, the energy is, was magnetic and everyone was there for the same reason. Everyone that I met, everyone was coming to that area from California and from Florida and from Texas mm -hmm. and Chicago and New York, mm -hmm. all for that same, that same purpose. And so I felt like I needed to be there. Like that was my place in time. Did you know what you wanted to do for a living after that? Or in the moment you're like, I don't know exactly, but I'm going to get this degree. I'm having a good time in Boulder. I'll figure it out later. Or was there a master plan? Uh, there was a general plan. The general okay. plan was, so uh, I decided to go back to school when there's, I was still, you know, I was doing my, my neuromuscular therapy practice and I was still dabbling because uh, that was getting really slow at 2008, 2009. So I decided to do a little carpentry on the side. And I remember the day that I decided uh, that I wanted to go back to school in environmental work. And I decided that I wanted to work in renewable energy. I didn't know specifically what, but I wanted to be in renewable energy 
And I was on a roof one day. It was 102 degrees outside, humid as hell. You know, New York summers can be rough. Um, it's like the summer of Sam. It was just ridiculously hot and uh, brutal out there. And it was so hot that we had to spray the roof down with water so that the shingles wouldn't melt from our boots and ruin the shingles on this roof. Oof. And, and uh, yeah, it was, it was rough. Uh, you know, people were dropping like flies that day. And um, I'm just sitting there and the generators running, the air compressors running, and we're throwing all this stuff into this dumpster. And I'm like, you know, this was a brand new roof seven years ago. Right. And all this material was made and like it just happened in that moment. It came into my mind and I saw everything clearest day in this one moment that how unsustainable we are as a species. We right. made right. all of the, this building material, put all the energy and labor to get it up there. And here I am getting rid of it only seven years later. Mm. It didn't make any sense. And then I looked across the street. Someone was installing solar panels on it. Ah, that's how you, there's the solar uh, doorway right there. Cause I know you had some solar in the background. Okay. All right. All right. Now you had not been in sales, but you were selling your massage uh, healing practice. So that's sales. I mean, you were, you were, yeah, Yeah. I mean, you were selling, so you were used to talking. All right. So you went and talked to you. What did you call somebody and say, Hey man, I want to be in, I want to be in solar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What did I do? I, you know, I, I knew I knew that CU had one of the largest environmental programs in the United States. Um, I knew they had some heavy hitters there. CU, a lot of people don't know this, but CU uh, works with a lot of third-party uh, companies that also take in funding and government agencies that have funding to support the proliferation of the industry. Yeah. And so there's Instar and there's NREL, and NREL is making the technology, testing technologies most of the time, like they're they're like an incubator. Instar is really doing a lot of research on climate uh, related stuff. And some of the top professors in the United States related to climatology are out of CU. So uh, Professor James White, who was a major influencer on the uh, proving of climate change through the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere. And he proved it over many years of traveling to the pole, uh, the North Pole and gathering ice borings you know, from, from the, uh, you know, that area up there. And, and um, what we would do is we would test these ice borings for concentrations of CO2. And so that, that research, was, a lot of it was right here in, in Colorado, in Boulder, in his classes and in Instar, like right down the street from where I grew up uh, or not grew up, but sorry, went to school. And so, yeah. so I knew I wanted to learn that. I wanted to learn about it. I want to know what was going on. Okay. And, and then from there, I would figure out, you know, because envir- the environmental program is so broad. So I was like, do I want to work on the hard science side? Do I want to work on the soft science side? Do I want to get into a business? I, I mean, it was, I knew I wanted to work in renewable energy, but I really wanted to understand everything there was, because I love to validate, right? And everyone says, oh, renewable energy, it's cleaner and greener, and it's better for the planet, like, we need to do it. I wanted to know why. And so I, every class that I took, I chose classes that were focused on understanding from the conception of what the problems are, to what are the solutions, and how to get there. And I quickly realized in my first semester that 
I'm not cut out for hard science. I just, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I love, I love it, but I'm just, I don't have an attention to detail for, you know, the okay. scientific method and, and the number side of things. Um, I just get, I get tired. I get bored. Um, <laughs> you know, I love, I love working with people. And then, so I went to the soft science side, policy and society and really understood uh, how our governments work and how that relates to the markets and the businesses and, and how this industry is, is working across the United States. And that's what I really realized what the true problem was, that the problem was not that we're limited in technology. The problem that we're facing, especially in this country, are the people that don't want us to have these technologies. And the why industries. is that? Yeah, why is it? Because it hurts them. They lose money, yeah. etc. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's I'm dealing. We're dealing with the same thing, in, you know, we're kind of like foreshadowing for later in this call. But like, it's same thing with the hemp industry. Um, yeah. So it's it's a disruptive industry, right? You have mm -hmm. generations of wealth that are making a lot of money. It's yep. very simple, making a lot of money on, on their, their infrastructure that they've built out yes. and they don't want to lose it. And, no doubt. and they don't, no and doubt. why, why change it? Right. And so, and so they're like, you know, yeah, they're, they're like, ah, these problems over here, you know, uh, environmental degradation and climate change. It's like I'm making billions of dollars. Yeah. So, you know, I tell, yeah. yeah. I tell people all the time, and I'm not an expert on this, so I, you know, maybe I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but I'm pretty sure, you know, we, even when you talk about the oil industry, I mean, it goes all the way back, even in World War, World War II, I'm pretty sure we went through certain geographic areas on our way up to destroy Hitler to make sure we captured certain oh, yeah. things for the oil industry, etc. I mean, we've gone, we've, we've gone to wars and people die like like the oil industry is so powerful they could they basically have told our military what to do over the last 20 or 30 40 years yeah. and so people people don't understand like listen man the, the you're talking about some of the most powerful organizations and people on planet earth and they are going to protect certain things it's going to be very difficult to maneuver through that so anyway <laughs> you're you're 100 on point you know and yeah. and you think I'll end it with this. Um, we quickly realized in World War II that the, the only way to, to really stop this growing enemy was to cut them off of energy. And then from there, that thought spiraled out and it says the entire world yes. is relying on energy. The amount, right. of, <laughs> the amount of the billions of barrels of oil that we consume in a day on it's this planet, let alone the United States, uh, you control that. You control an entire society. Yes, and no, so doubt, the, you know, no doubt about it. <laughs> our, our government said we need to protect the interests of our of our people and of our of our sovereign state, and so we are risking our freedoms by not controlling our energy supply. And yeah. so when we went into the Middle East and Africa, yeah, to because we knew the Nazis were going down there, and that's right. Yep. And trying to secure it, that we went in there and built relationships and helped secure That's it right. on our end. And, and then it's just a spiral from there. There's a great book <laughs> out there uh, called Blood and Oil that talks about the entire history of how this, how we got to where we are in this country. But uh, I mean, so yeah, and we could do a whole podcast on that, by the I way, because it's, it's a yeah. fascinating topic. Yeah, we could do a whole podcast, but let's switch, let's go here. 
somehow at some point, so you had some passions there and you did well in renewable energy and in solar, but something triggered you. There was, there was a doorway into cannabis and hemp somehow walk us through that transition. If you don't mind. Perfect segue, man. Um, It's related to this conversation that we just had. Okay. Um, I became very, very frustrated. You know, I was starry eyed and I was like, I'm going to change the world. And, uh, (laughs) and the reality is, is that um, nonprofits don't change the world. Companies change the world. Money and influence and power changes the world. Uh, You know, you look at, you look at Elon Musk, right. And, uh, you know, the, the wealth that he's amassed with his company and the innovations through his technology has forced the transportation industry of the United States to transition from fossil fuel combustion engine vehicles to electric motors. And he did it through the markets, through business. Um, I, I was in a nonprofit. I uh, segued right out of school as an intern coordinator and became a associate development director of a nonprofit. And I was in charge of fundraising and basically selling what we were educating the communities on, which was, hey, here's the truth about renewable energy. And we were watchdogs. I was a policy analyst uh, for a little I while. So we were like, here's what's going on in our governments. Here's what the utility companies are doing. Here's what the oil and gas and coal companies are doing. And, you know, I was barely paying my bills doing that. Um, <laughs> so I did that for a few years. I, I really enjoyed it. But uh, we would hit all these milestones. And then, you know, these companies would rush in and just throw all this money and just start knocking things back. So it's this constant effort back and forth and nonprofits use manpower and community power, which is a tremendous amount of energy. Mm. And, you know, the other forces use a lot of money and which money creates organization and strategy that is just really hard to compete with. And so I just got tired and I got my big break at Tesla solar city. I said, you okay. know, I'm going to move for the for-profit sector. Okay. And that for-profit sector was great. Um, that's when I really started to make some good money and started to learn about the for-profit side of renewable energy. How are we monetizing this technology of solar energy? How is it actually working in the supply chain? And then, again, same thing that happened with my, with my healing practice. Uh, I just... I felt like I was hitting this glass ceiling. Okay. I knew that I was never going to have a seat at the table. Right. And, and you still had, and you still had this entrepreneurial bug yeah. because of the early life with your dad and him kind of running his thing and you kind of doing some of your own independent construction yeah. and your, and your own healing massage practice. So you, you were an early entrepreneur in some of those things and that bug yeah. was in there. So let me guess when you're, when you're selling solar, you're like, yeah, I don't have a seat at the table. And I got this entrepreneurial bug kind of stirring around in my gut. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I got it. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So it, 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 it was a perfect segue into the hemp cannabis industry because uh, at the time, Solar City Tesla was, well, Solar City was the residential solar program. They were acquired by Tesla Motors. Okay. Uh, now Tesla is, has a solar program that's, you know, in the same company, but, um, solar city was having some issues. Uh, there were some infrastructural issues that I noticed in the company and I wanted to help, but I was just a low ranking guy in the sales department. 
Um, but my background and my education was really valuable. And so I was giving information to the vice president who I was building relationship with here in Colorado. Okay. And they groomed me for management and they flew me out to meet the CEO and all the directors with the VP. And, um, you know, they gave me this management role opportunity and it just, it was lackluster. It wasn't, it really wasn't going to do anything for my career. They are pretty much setting me up for failure. And I knew right there that the leaders of the company from the sales department didn't even know what they were doing. Like when I walked into the room, and I knew more conceptually of, about what needed to be done. Mm. And they either, you know, it wasn't like they opened up and just told me everything was going on. They either didn't care or didn't know. Right. And, you know, everyone has their own personal agendas. And so I was like, I turned down the management role wow. and uh, left the company about three, four weeks later. Wow. And, on your flight back now, on your, on your flight back, yeah. were you thinking to yourself, okay, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing this. <laughs> yeah. No, I had, I had, I won't name names, but I had, a, had drinks at the airport uh, with the VP at the time. Okay. And uh, you know, we were, we were having more than just a few drinks and uh, <laughs> he's like, you know, Charlie, I, I was a little disappointed. You know, I, I thought that you were going to take this job and I was like, listen, man, I'm not, I'm not getting on my knees for this crappy role. I mean, they, they had a hiring freeze. They had a firing freeze. Mm. Uh, their top sales guy in the territory they wanted me to take over was now their lowest performer. Mm. Um, mm. The team was losing trust in management because they had been making bad decisions. Yeah, you see fires everywhere. You're like, I see smoke. I see fires. Mm. I'm, I don't, it didn't yeah. feel right. Yep. Okay. <laughs> and I could have, I could have, done some things to help and, and fixed specifically to do what I needed to do for that team. Mm -hmm. But they were, they wanted me to go in with hands tied behind my back. And mm -hmm. I have a problem, especially, and I don't think a lot of top management people understand this in sales that you can't lie to your salespeople. You can't <laughs> just piss on them and tell them it's raining because these people have <laughs> families. <laughs> so I'm, I call it the Stonewall Jackson approach, right? I lead in the front when we go to battle. I lead by example, right? I'll take a bullet for my team. Uh, and if someone's like, I can't sell, I'm going out in the field with you and then let's find out. Mm. And if mm. I outsell you, you're going to get your ass back out there and you're going to do what I tell you to do, right? <laughs> right? Like I'm very tough, but I'm not, I don't sit in the back with the whip, right? I'm, a, gotcha. I'm up front leading, right? So gotcha. great, great. Uh, I use the stonewall approach and I was like, I can't look a man in the eyes that has three children and is trying to make ends meet who went from making $10,000 a month and is now making $4,000 a month and tell him everything's going to be okay. Mm. And all you got to do is work harder. And the reality was that that was not going to happen unless we made some changes within, you know, the back end, right? Mm -hmm. We had some issues with point of sale and this and that, but anyway, um, I left and then I just started to dabble. I was testing out these different markets of where I can really sink my teeth into something. And I was looking at energy efficient windows. Uh, I was looking at, um, you know, uh, uh, I mean, all kinds of different things. I was thinking about starting about, uh, starting a, a consulting firm okay. to work with companies and, I decided, you know, probably shouldn't be a consultant unless I put a couple of successes under my belt first. Okay. Probably not a good idea. And then, uh, and then I stumbled into the cannabis industry on, in an ancillary business, um, working with sustainable 
uh, fertilizer and cultivation. So that's okay. That's the tie, right? So the whole sustainability piece and your background and some of those areas, then you found the fertilizer company key to life. I, I got gotcha. you. Okay. That's, yeah. that's, and that's the, where we met. So it wasn't, it wasn't like you were targeting cannabis and hemp. It just kind of, it just happened. Okay. Yeah, I met the owner, uh, Kate Dooley and really nice guy. Brilliant with growing cannabis. I mean, the guy really knows what he's doing. I, I will give him that. Um, but he lacked, some experience and, and skills and knowledge to be a, uh, at the time, I haven't talked to the guy in years and I don't want to bash anyone, but he just, you know, he was lacking some things that, that the, the leader of the company needed, especially on okay. some business acumen. Okay. And, uh, you know, he was a, he was a cannabis guy, you know, yep. an early stage yep. cannabis guy. Early, yep. So, <laughs> um, that this is very common, um, really passionate, really smart with the plan, but just, um, you know, was missing on a few things. And I said, I can be that puzzle piece for you. Gotcha. I can be the liaison between business, business and cannabis. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I came in and he downloaded as much as he could into me on everything there was to know about this plant. Right. Um, and then what I did was I took that and then built something around it of how we can improve the monetization of his model. So we, we were selling sustainable carbon-based fertilizers that were actually good for the environment that weren't creating a lot of these issues that petroleum-based, you know, your, your traditional fertilizers that you're getting from, you know, mm -hmm. your, your, your Monsanto, your, you know, miracle Grow stuff that's horrible for the environment and, and for your plant's immune system. And so, Oh man, this is a win-win for me, right? So yeah, right? I'm yeah. coming in to be a co-leader role and, and help build the sales team and help restructure things and getting into this new exciting market. And I've I've always, you know, I've always been down with with cannabis. I've never had a, a problem with anyone who consumes cannabis. I consume cannabis, and I was like, yeah, let's do this. And uh, how are your parents, by the way? Were you, how are your parents on the cannabis piece real quick? I don't want to interrupt your flow, but just curious. When you, no, you're good. When you, call, when you called mom and dad and you're like, yeah, I'm going to be in the cannabis industry. How was that? <laughs> uh, it wasn't a big deal. I mean, I didn't grow up in a really conservative household. Um, oh, okay. My, yeah. My, my, mom is, my mom is a straight edge. I mean, she doesn't consume, um, but not because she thinks it's like devil's lettuce. She just she's very sensitive and she just doesn't like putting anything into her body. That's okay. not within the structure that she was raised on, you know? So, right. um, yeah, they're, they're like live and let live. Right. So, okay. Okay. So they didn't yeah. have any major problems with it, but, yeah. but when you were a teenager, you weren't sitting around in the living room getting high with your parents either. No, <laughs> no, I was sneaking around. <laughs> okay. As I tell these young cats today, I'm like, I used to get in the car with strangers <laughs> and buy drugs. <laughs> Joe Rogan has this thing about it. I think it's Joe Rogan that talks about this. He's like, these kids are never going to understand what it was like for us to get weed back yeah. in the day. Right? It, isn't that so true? You are so it's right. So I mean, especially even for me, because I'm even older. Right. Um, my so, favorite line is my favorite line is uh, not to go down a rabbit hole here on getting weed when you're young, but uh you know, when I was a kid, there were two kinds of weed. Yeah. The weed you had or you didn't have any. <laughs> <There Yeah. was laughs> no... 
there was no like, oh, sativa, indica, this flavor, that flavor. Like there was yeah. none of that. That was none of that. Yeah. You had weed or you didn't have weed. That was it. You had weed or you didn't have weed, man. Um, <laughs> that's so true. It is so true. People are scraping uh, resins out of their bowls, you know? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It was, totally. I mean, I, you're from Oklahoma, right? Yes. Yeah. Super yeah. conservative, super, super conservative. conservative. But, but we yeah. never, but I never thought. Like, uh, I don't remember being scared. Like, you know, when I was in college or whatever, and we'd get, just like you said, we'd just get in a car with some guys and drive around the right. block, get stoned. Right. Uh, I never remember thinking, oh, we're going to get arrested or who. Oh. Like, I, I just don't remember. I don't remember having any of those fears. I just was yeah. just like, oh, this is this is what we do. Like, I, you know, anyway. That's awesome. <laughs> that was anyway. not what it was like where I grew up. <laughs> <laughs> the cops so, were looking for a tag a collar so that they can work up the chain i think that's what it was i mean they uh, hunted us we ooh. would so there is like this paranoia and this fear that even to this day like right. being in sunny colorado with the most <laughs> regulated legalized market like right. sometimes i still smoke and i'm like Wait a yeah <laughs> I totally, yeah, you're absolutely right. I remember the first time I was downtown Denver, we were with a client and uh, we walk out of the restaurant. He just pulls out a pipe right on the sidewalk and he's like, okay, let's, let's, let's have a few hits. And I was the same yeah. way. I was like, well, is this, is this, this around? No like check the street. Is there anybody? Yeah. I don't have my running <laughs> shoes on. <laughs> i totally agree okay so so you enter you enter the market you, you're working for key to life you're having fun you now you're kind of fulfilling you're not you're not an owner but you're very close to the owner so you're involved in the entrepreneurial piece of it a little bit plus you're in sales plus you're in sustainability plus you're in cannabis all this sounds like this is a good fit you're having a good time right and now yeah, yeah okay cool all right well the company the company when I first came in, didn't know because it wasn't like they just were like, hey, here's the books, analyze the company. And I also wasn't at that. I didn't feel comfortable enough at that level of my career yet to just be like, yeah, let me just like completely tear this company apart and from the inside right. out. And they were having some struggles. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so it wasn't like they had a huge capital reserve and were able to hire all the people that needed to be hired. So it was bootstrap. Um, okay. right. And that's when I really got to cut my teeth. I I was bootstrapping. I was bring, I was building a sales team at a hundred percent commission, um, mm. working on a very small budget. So you had to be really precise, not precise. That's not the right word. Had to be really, uh, laser focused, laser focused, conscientious on how we were spending that money. How can I squeeze blood out of a turnip? And, uh, what we decided to do was, and, and ever since this time, and I, I took some of it from Tesla solar city, even to this day, is a consultative sales approach, especially in business to business. Let's go in there and use what we have. Same as the nonprofits. We don't have money. Great. But we have blood and sweat. So let's get into these businesses that are growing and extracting and let's educate them on how we can improve their bottom line mm. and improve the quality of their product. Mm -hmm. Let's make them more money. Let's do something better for the environment. So it was similar to the solar city pitch. Right. And so I just took it, reformed it. And now we're in cannabis and we went out to hundreds, Steve, hundreds of grows. And that's what really allowed me to get to where I was today. And that's why I'm appreciative for the opportunity that Tate gave me. And despite that things didn't work out and we, we, yeah. we fought towards the end. Um, 
got you. I got to yep. see yep. the operation of almost any type of grow you can think of from mm. Colorado to California, mm. up to Oregon and Washington. Great. And I, I really got to put my hand on the pulse on by the, the way, business side and operations. By the way, just for the listeners, to cold call or cold walk up to a grow or a facility as a salesperson, get find a way to get in the door and talk to one of those old school cannabis owners and try to sell them something that takes balls <laughs> and and uh it is not that is not an easy little path right there because it's it's no. hard to even find the facilities it's hard to get somebody to get you in the door it's super hard to get the meeting and then when you do get the meeting it's some guy you know and, and back in the day when you were doing this it's probably some guy's been growing weed for 30 years he hates salespeople. And there you are, the New York kid, you know, and he's like, who the, who, who the hell is this guy? Yeah. Trying to sell me some soil. <laughs> yeah. That was well, not easy. really quick, man. I had to adapt. Yeah. I would yeah. I'd walk in like this, you know, and I am wearing pants right now, by the way. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd walk up in my slacks and my color because I want to, I want to respect you. Right. And I, mm. So I, this is for, you know, for, for me, but also I want to respect you and show you that I'm here to help you and do business. And everything that you see is a part of that, right? Like I took the time and energy to, to get there. That's not how it is in cannabis. It's the complete opposite, actually. You know, so I had to put on the, the t-shirt and uh, yep. The, yep. the baseball cap and, and walk in there. And a lot of them don't even really trust you unless you burn with them. And so it's That's like, right. it's true. It's, it's hard true. for me, man. I have a hard time getting high while I'm trying to work. It's or work <laughs> while I'm getting high. Sell. You're trying to close a deal right here. And now yeah. we're stoned and we're talking about when we went to Vegas yeah. that time and blah, blah, blah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it was a lot of fun. I let, I let Tate do that because Tate's like some people I've noticed about this industry. And I really want to talk about this eventually. Before, and I don't know how much time we're, we have, we're, We got to get there. Yeah, we got to get there. Go ahead. You're going to yeah. love this. It was something that I noticed about the industry and it actually segues into where I'm at today. Good. The, the industry feeds itself. And what I mean by that is like everything that people grow, everything people make and all these consumable products within the cannabis industry today and back then was for the people that were making it for us by us kind of idea. Mm. And who are these people? These are people that their bodies do really well with these high concentrations of Delta 9 THC. Mm. I do not. <laughs> I don't know. And I've noticed a lot of people don't. And so when in most dispensaries, especially in Colorado, they're really high in THC. You're right. Really, it's really true. high and almost no other cannabinoids. And studies have shown that it's not that great for you uh, psychologically to be consuming really high levels of Delta 9 every day. And so and these growers... And 40 and 50 year old professionals that want to partake a little bit because they're recreational casual users and want to have like a little fun. They just don't have the, uh, what's the word? Uh, 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 their bodies just can't handle that, that strong of a hit. Right. And then, yeah. and then, and then they're, then they're on, they're on the ground, you know, so to speak, they're in the, they're right. on the bed on the couch. Like, damn, I can't even function right now. <laughs> right. It's true. It's true. And, and so, yeah, at Keto Life, you know, I, the, the theme of this throughout my whole career was, with the exception of Tesla Solar City, was that lack of capital is one of the most, one of the major struggles that we've dealt with. And then, you know, and then we met at Keto Life. And one of the struggles I had was finding the right people. Mm -hmm. 
And you got to have capital sometimes, most of the time to bring in the right people. That's right. <laughs> and so that segues right into what you're doing now. So let's talk about it. Yeah. So you saw yeah. the need for cat. So you liked the industry. You're having a good time. You saw the need for capital in so many ways. Let's move into it now here with Quality Bancorp. Quality Bancorp. By the way, for the listeners, it's Quality Ban Quality Bancorp. Quality Bancorp. Yeah. So, um, and just like it's spelled, just like it sounds, qualitybandcorp.com. Um, you can also, just want to make sure I get this in there. You can also pull up Charlie Cipriani and it's Charles Cipriani on LinkedIn and you can connect with him there. Uh -huh. Tell us about, tell us about your business right now. Give us the elevator pitch uh, and so forth. Go for it. Yeah. I'll start at Akita Life. I realized it when I started a couple early startups as well in the space is that it's really hard to get access to capital. Um, and it's because of this mentality that we're, we're evolving out of from the history of the cannabis industry. Uh, the Wall Street guys and girls out there, uh, the private equity, the vulture capitalists, um, there's this dissonance, right? The, ca the cannabis people don't trust That's the right. capitalist people, You're the right. capitalists. And, 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 and uh, the capitalists are just like, how do I get these guys to just figure out how to let me do business with them? And I think they would earn more respect if they, you know, and, and it's not everybody, but a lot of them, you know, like if they just showed up to a meeting on time or right. weren't getting high before the meeting or, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, uh, started work before 10 a.m., and again, that's not everybody, right? But it's a lot of people. And so a lot of people have these great ideas, these startups. And I realized I wanted to help these people. I wanted to give them a short-term lending solution because sometimes like you don't need a lot. And so right. what Quality Bank Corp does is we do short-term lending. I see. Where, yeah, 30 day, 30 day turns. Um, and we don't even evaluate financials because most people wouldn't qualify anyway. They've only been in business a short amount of time. They're not making a lot of money. So what we do is we secure uh, uh, the, the the hemp assets. We work specifically in hemp right now. We're not working on the, the cannabis side, the okay. Delta 9 okay. THC side. All right. And it's, it's quite simple. Um, if someone needs money and, and they don't have the ability to qualify for other types of lending, we literally just qualify that, that hemp, right? So whether it's certain types of flour or uh, the CBD oil, right? Whether it's a crude or distillate or isolate, um, if if that oil is qualified for our portfolio, then we'll cut you a check in two days. So it's very, so, very so, so the collateral is the inventory basically. Correct. The collateral is yeah. So, so in your mind, in your mind, you're like, Hey, worst case scenario, these guys don't pay us back. We own the inventory. Correct. You do the math. You're like, okay, even if we had to like wholesale the inventory or even, even if we had to budget sell the inventory at a discount, we're still going to get right. our money back or whatever. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. Very simple. Okay. Right. Asset backed lending, you know, uh, collateralizing the inventory. Yep. And, uh, you know, the, the industry is going through some amazing transitions right now. So I really want to touch on this real quick. So I want to take a minute. Well, so, talking about, I, I'm screaming this from the rooftops right now. I'm telling investors that are looking to also get in as well. Like, this is something that we really need to identify. And I would, I want to tell everyone this. It's so important to, to know this. Because these dispensaries across the country are selling to other people that are consumers of a high level of Delta 9, we're leaving an entire demographic of consumers across the United States mm. on the table. And mm -hmm. I feel that the cannabis industry 
is scrounging for the scraps of this one plate. And there's an entire feast over mm. here. Mm, you're right. Mm. And it, it, what we're really talking about here are a more balanced product that has, that's using the entourage effect that has more cannabinoids outside of Delta 9-THC and then balancing that out to create a more mild high that's more functional because yes. and I, we've dumped a bunch of money into marketing about this so that we can really target on where we really want to lend our money and, and also invest into. But also, you know, we, we create consumable products from the inventory that we have from, from defaulted loans. Oh, you do. I see. Oh, yeah. so, so are you, are you trying to be a product company or a wholesale company or that's just kind of yeah. happening naturally? It's happening naturally. And now we are, we are becoming that we have a, a subsidiary called Zodiac Essentials. Ah. And, and it's a self-care company that's coming out with a lot of different products. And we're really, we put a lot of money in, uh, into market research and our market research show that roughly 5% of the United States can afford to consume CBD products today, right? Because of the price point, it's so high. And then on the cannabis side and the marijuana side, a lot of people either don't like the feeling that the products that these dispensaries are selling today, mm -hmm. right? They don't like the feeling of it. It's too intense. Mm -hmm. Or they just feel alienated by the, the culture of cannabis. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, it's, yeah. so, it's so it's so fascinating. You bring this up because I, there's a little bit there's a new dispensary down from my house. My wife and I go in. Keep in mind, we're, we're 50s. Right. And so right away, they're trying to say, oh, this this right here, the potency, the blah, blah, blah. This is like super strong. La, la, la. Concentrate. I'm like, listen, bro, man, I don't I don't I don't I don't need that, man. I, I, I don't. Yeah. I I'm a very recreational special occasion. Yeah. Maybe it's a weekend. I want to relax a little bit on my back porch. I don't need to like be on the ground. Like why, why are you right. always trying to push the heavy stuff on me? And that's happened the last several times I've been in. So I have personally witnessed exactly what you're saying. Like, mm -hmm. like, no, can I just get like, I want to be functional. I want to be relaxed and I want to yes. laugh at, laugh at stuff, but I want to be functional. Yeah. Yes. Uh, anyway, I hear, I hear exactly what you're saying. By the way, real quick, zodiac-essentials.com. Is that is that correct? Yeah, zodiac-essentials. Yeah, hyphen essentials. Yep. 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 Uh, okay. We just launched it in February and it came to me. Again, it's this energy thing, right? I was meditating. I do a meditative practice every morning and it came to me in a wave. It was like a crash, like boom. You know, like everything that I've been working on for the past five years in this industry all culminated to this one position, right? Mm -hmm. And it is that if we really want the cannabis industry to be taken seriously by the majority of Americans, we have to have a product that is not so, that doesn't have yep. such an intense psychoactive effect. You're right. And here's the business, right? People will consume it more That's and correct. more frequently, which it's means totally more true. money. So <laughs> I, it, people will totally consume this in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, in the night. It, it, and, I really can't. I just want I don't mean to keep interrupting you, but you're no, exactly please. right. I bought, I bought one of those concentrated couple of those concentrated pins. Uh, and for a guy that does not smoke that often, like one of those one of those pins that I've had it for like two months. Right. Like, you know, because I barely got because first of all, if I take one little tiny hit, I'm like, OK. I got I got to go to bed right now. Right. <laughs> and, and you're right. And it's lasted forever because it's just so strong it's like if right. i had a more casual uh thing where i could you know in the afternoons i'm having a glass of wine my wife gets off work i'm trying to relax i i, I take a couple of hits i'm just relaxed but i'm not like 
dead on the couch. Yeah. You're totally right. I absolutely or like intense. You're like, man, like I feel uncomfortable. I'm so yes. high right now. I only so took true. a couple hits. So yeah. True. So I have a product for you. Um, oh, all right. All we right. created a formulation. So we got this really great flower that came off of a loan. Um, mm -hmm. And and it smokes really well. It's got a you know it's got a good taste. It's nice and smooth uh, okay. for a CBD flowers, and it's compliant, right? This is a CBD flower, okay. and we infused it with a formulation of other cannabinoids. But no T no THC in this, or there is uh, compliant levels of delta nine THC, and then it we offered two versions: one with just the different cannabinoids, and then other botanical terpenes that also have medicinal value to it. Okay. And one that we add botanically derived Delta-8 THC, which is a new craze right now. And it's because Delta-8 isn't as long lasting and it's more mild. And it's okay. created this, this high that I really, in fact, I'm consuming more. Mm, yeah, I made it yeah. for me really. Uh, and yeah. then I noticed, man, this is something special. And so gotcha. we sell them in these 3.5 gram containers. We're, we're in uh, some retail stores across the United States. And people are buying our stuff multiple times a week. Mm. Are you uh, are you wholesale and so are you selling just wholesale or can you buy direct from your website? You can buy right off our website okay. as well. But we respect okay. our, our retail partners. We sell wholesale. So you can find our, our product at, at some smoke shops throughout Illinois, uh, specifically Chicago and uh, parts okay. of Florida and okay. In North now Carolina and California. You're not a manufacturer or a producer, uh, right? You're not, you're not processing anything. I'm assuming whatever uh, raw product you get from a loan that failed, then you've partnered with somebody to process or, or, or do you own your own facility to process and make, make the goods as well? Yeah. So we are, we are actually making the consumable good, but the actual, you know, the, the Delta eight oil, um, you know, we, we've lent and invested with strategic partners. Okay. And so we'll, we'll work with someone that we really trust that, you know, cause I've been in the supply chain risk management side for years, Steve. So like mm -hmm. I have some guys I can really trust to make this yes. oil and it's compliant. Yes. Yep. In fact, we're one of the only companies that has a consumable product with truly compliant Delta eight oil. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. So they, they figured out, they cracked the code on how to convert CBD into Delta eight oil without also making Delta nine, which I've never met anyone who, who truly can. And there's a lot of issues with fraud. I mean, that's a whole other podcast we could talk about with, right. you know, testing, right. Mm -hmm. But KCA, a, a DEA licensed testing lab um, has anointed our strategic partner for being the only ones who've created compliant Delta eight oil. And so Great. they make it. We bring it in house. We actually make our product, so everything's okay. done by hand right now. We're a small, you know, company yeah. right now. Yeah. Did you? And, uh, did you? Was that the plan? I mean, I mean, I know that you wanted to do the lending, right, to provide capital. I mean, that was your original mm -hmm. vision. When you were drawing this plan up, were you think? Did did immediately you have the idea like, okay, whatever, whatever defaults, we're going to grab the inventory, and make product. Was that part of the plan in the beginning, or did that come afterwards? So the, with asset-backed lending, right, you have to have what they call the aftermarket of, all right, how am I selling this stuff? So when we first started, it was, we'll just move it out through brokers and through I, I see. I supply see. chain risk management companies at bulk, right, and just okay. get it off our books. Um, but the supply chain is, it's not broken, it's just never been built. And so it, it's, 
it's really hard to rely on brokers and the industry is so fragmented. So uh, it, we actually evolved into being like, you know what? We actually, we can reduce risk and improve profitability mm-hmm. and also support the consumers out there by making sure they're getting a compliant, mm-hmm. safe product. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it evolved into it. Do you make more money? Have you run the math to, to say, okay, if I buy this thousand pounds of raw hemp, am I going to make more money if they pay me back on the loan or am I going to make more money if I turn it into a product? I guess it depends, right? I guess there's a lot of variables in there. I mean, lending will definitely make less money lending because um, we only charge uh, between four and 5% on our loans. Oh, I was going to ask you four and 5%. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All, right. It, it, All right. And, you know, to kind of give you a backdrop, most, most lenders in this space, um, you know, if you're going to a factorer, they're going to charge seven to 15, maybe even right. 25%. If you find a private, you know, like an individual, like a, an angel that's willing to just go in on deals with you, they're going to want 50% cut, 30% uh, cut. So it's very, yeah, was, I could talk about this, lending for an hour. Was this your baby? Was this your vision? And then you grabbed a couple of guys, a couple of co-founders. How many, yeah. Walk me through real quick, the company uh, setup. Are there five co-founders or are you the founder and there's just partners? What's the setup? Yeah. So the, so I, I'm the founder of the idea, right? Okay. Um, it actually came out of necessity because I was like, man, like I, I really need the ability to have quick capital and the capital is just so expensive. And I was like, why isn't anyone doing asset lending? One of my mentors <clears throat> um, has just been advising me. And so he came in as a board member just to advise. Okay. And, and he has 30 years in banking and international banking and trade finance, which trade finance is essentially what we're doing, right? You're securing the asset and facilitating a transaction by holding that underlying capital for, for the transaction. And, okay. uh, and so he's, he brings the, the wisdom uh, on the banking and lending side, and I bring the expertise on the hemp side, and which has allowed us to create this model. Did you go to him and say, Hey, I got this idea. Help me. Let's, let's do this. Yeah. I told him, I said, Hey, here's the problems in the market. This doesn't exist. Like here's what is really out there right now in terms of lending. You got factors charging insane rates. You got these vulture capitalists that want to own your company or set you up for failure. We got, you know, we, any, and then anyone else like who's going to be lending, right? Like their model is made so that, the only people we're going to qualify are people that actually don't even really need the money. So it's like, Got, gotcha. Well, so, um, where, and where did yeah. the, did you have to raise the cash? Where, where does the cash come from? Yeah. So it, it, most it's, a, we call it a credit facility. Most of these models, you, you raise money in from investors. Through, through, through angels or family offices <laughs> or where? Okay. Through angels at this point in the game. I mean, I consulted with some family offices and, and some, some funds, but uh, because of the industry and the risk profile, you know, it, it's very difficult to get this started because this is a this is a brand new thing that we're doing at Quality Bank Corp. Mm-hmm. No one is doing asset backed lending in this space. Interesting. Interesting. Um, do, do you have to have do you have to? Oh, so I want to go back to the, the raising cash. I know we're over on time. Uh, no, I, I have I, I have time. So did but, you. So Kevin, I think, is who you're talking about, the mentor from the banking industry. He's on your website, right? Yep. Um, did, uh, did you say, Hey, Kevin, you helped me with this, by the way, do you know some angels? I know some angels. We'll take some guys out to dinner. We'll get some cash. I mean, I mean, in layman's terms, is that how it worked? 
<laughs> yeah, Kevin, Kevin is is arm's length away, right? Like he 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 doesn't directly get involved in the business. Okay. He just gives okay. me advice. Okay. All right. Just, so you had to go out. You, you, you had to knock on doors and, and talk people into providing the early cash. Yeah, the way that I look at business is people a lot of people separate business in their mind from personal relationships and how how we think about interacting with people right mm -hmm. and that's what i love about you steve is like you're, you're very personable and you're like no 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 you're bringing someone into your company especially a, if they're going to be an officer like you need to vibe on every level and yeah. so that's made me successful at raising money is that right. people know that i put the interests of the company first and the interests of the shareholders first okay and so integrity and respect and you know honor are really 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 important to me what's the bank what's That's the business model as an invest as an investor what's the business model i invest a hundred thousand you use that money to invest and then and then i, I i'm 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 ignorant to how that works so maybe you can help me so i give sure. you the money and then and then I get, you know, monthly dividends from profits or how, how does that work? How do I get my money back? <laughs> yeah. So with, with any type of credit facility, I mean, there's different ways that the credit facilities can structure their, their, their payments to investors, but you're essentially a, um, an unsecured debt holder, right? Like we have a okay. portfolio of, of secured assets that your money is collateralizing. Um, and then you, you give us your money and then we give you a, a, uh, an interest rate that's paid out annually in uh, quarterly payments, right? So we pay it out quarterly, quarterly, quarterly. but it's based on a, it's based on a, an annual percentage rate. Um, and so then you, you get paid out quarterly on, so we take the money in, here's our cost of the money, and then we're lending it. And the idea with lending is you want to lend as often as you can. It's kind of like hot potato. Like you want to get it back out there in the market mm -hmm. and keep lending it as often as you can so that the more, the more often you're lending, the more fees you're collecting, and that's how we make our money. So, well, you mentioned you're charging people four percent or so uh, mm -hmm. when you lend them the money. Mm -hmm. What does the investor get back? Half of that, and like the investor gets back two point five, and then Quality Bancorp keeps two point five for profits. What's the split, or can you share that? Yeah, I could share that. Um, with our current round, and, and it'll be changing going into the next round uh, as we continue to build out the model. Um, but, uh, with our, our initial investors that wanted to take the risk to, to prove out the concept with us, we were giving a 15% annualized yield paid out quarterly. I see. So, okay. A traditional credit facility in other markets that weren't as risky, you get anywhere between five and eight. So, and okay. you know, you're putting your money in, it's secured by assets and you're just getting a check in, in the mail every quarter, uh, okay. because it's higher risk. We, we, we negotiated at a 15%. Okay. Okay. Very good. Are you raising yeah. cash right now? You're looking for more investors? Yeah. We're, we're always building the portfolio. In fact, you know, the lending side is really, is, is at a, a point right now where I don't want to scale the lending because oh. there's an ebb and flow to an asset backed lending model. Mm -hmm. So you lend and then ask you, we've proven concept. We've gotten to this point. Now we need to build the aftermarket right? Mm. The ability to sell these assets quickly and efficiently and profitably. Mm. So now we're building out the, the, the groundwork, the platform so that we can then scale the lending. So that's the ebb and the flow. So as we grow this retail channel, right? 
then we'll get to a point it's like, okay, we're now making a hundred thousand dollars a month in, in retail sales. We have thousands of, of, you know, retail stores and customers across the United States. We can project out how much we're making. So now I know how much more money I can bring into the portfolio and lend out. Now, let me ask you this too. Okay. So, so when you first started, um, Zodiac, Mm-hmm. Zodiac product came from from raw material that was captured from people who didn't pay back the loans. But mm-hmm. now there's a brand that consumers want. And so they bought it. They're going to want to return. Let me guess. You don't have the sometimes you don't have more raw, raw material to continue to make that product. So now you got to go out and buy wholesale to continue to feed that that retail brand. Is that correct? Yeah, that's, that's definitely something that could happen. It hasn't happened yet. I mean, okay. you got to look at it this way, right? Like, uh, you know, we had a loan that went south about three, four months ago. We, it was a $37,000 loan. Um, okay. And we collateralized 465 kilos of crude oil. Okay. Which is on the street today worth around $80,000. Ah, okay. So you could just, you could just sell it in bulk and make your money back if you yeah. wanted to. But the prices are fluctuating like crazy, right? So you kind of have to sit and hold it and wait until the prices come up. And so there's some volatility there. But retail, that oil's worth two to two and a half million dollars if you put I it, see. if you process it down and make a consumable product. So okay. a thirty-seven thousand dollar loan is worth two million dollars. Wow. Um, so now let's talk about retail, right? Like how many units is that? So you can extrapolate out how many milligrams in a gram, how many grams in a kilo, right? Mm, We have 465 mm. kilos of oil. Mm. Um, You know, that's, that's enough supply to run a company for a small company for a year, two years. Uh, What what happens when you go try to uh, secure the oil? Do you have to like take guys with like machine guns and things to like a warehouse and like beat, beat people up and get the oil back? Or what does that look like? It's, uh, (laughs) it's, it's, it's cowboys and Indians, but yeah, like, um, hey, man, we're here to get our oil. I'm Open a New Yorker, right? No, we, <laughs> we, uh, what we do is no, we, we actually emulated uh, a market that I've seen uh, successfully do this in the, the diamond districts in uh, New York City. So they actually take possession of the collateral before they give the money. Well, good idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, it's a really, really good idea. Uh, now you got to uh, have a warehouse. Now you got to have a warehouse in Denver somewhere you're paying monthly yeah. rent on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the overhead is very low, you know, and uh, really what I'm, what I'm really excited about is the equity round that we just opened up to expand uh-huh. the Zodiac essentials, the aftermarket of the lending. Okay. Um, so, and that's in the parent company. We're not raising it in the Zodiac. We're raising it in the parent company of Quality Bank Corp. Um, uh, do you have like a Do you have like a teaser or something you're sending out to investors? If you do, you can send yeah. it to me. I might I might float it past a few people. Yeah. No. Yeah. I have pitch deck financials, all that that fun okay. stuff. Um, okay. But what's really, you know, I don't know how much time you have. Like I, yeah, I, we, well, I don't have anything. Yeah. Go ahead. We can move to wrap up. I've got a couple of last minute questions. But go ahead. Anything else you yeah. want to say? about Zodiac or quality bank or yeah. go ahead. Yeah. The, the plug, um, <laughs> the, the, the last thing that the, our model is actually a three milestone model. One is prove the lending, right? We've lent out money. We've made some money. Mm-hmm. We lent out money. Uh, they didn't pay us back. We have the assets. Yeah. We're selling those assets. 
So we've been proving out the second milestone, which is building out the retail channel and selling those assets. We've been we've been selling retail products for about uh, three months now, um, okay. where everything's slowly building up. And the third milestone is the one I'm really really excited about, which is a part of this this uh, this equity raise is okay. debit and credit card processing. We call merchant services for the cannabis hemp space. But isn't there, um, aren't, there, aren't there people doing that merchant services for cannabis? On very small levels. It's, it's actually one of the biggest struggles. And I don't, I mean, I'm not on LinkedIn a, a lot right now because I'm so busy with what we're doing, but I don't think people are talking about it as much as they should be. Um, the banking industry has been a pain in the butt to most businesses in this space. In addition to banking services like credit and debit card processing, you can't use the major, there's, there's five major banks that in this country that, that support a lot of the banking services and you can't use them in this space. Mm. Mm. So your credit debit card processing will get shut down. That's not just cannabis, it's also CBD. CBD is considered a high risk business. So if you wanna go out and get debit credit card processing from a cannabis or high risk uh, producer, they're banking out of a small charter bank, which means that they're limited on the amount of transactions they can do. The fees are really, really high, or they're banking out of another country like the Cayman Islands. And mm. so these contracts are kind of shady. Uh, they lock you in and it's different outside this industry. When you go to like Stripe or Square or Clover, you sign up that day. They send you your little square chip or you plug them into your website. And you're taking cards, right? And you're getting charged anywhere between like two and three point seven percent. Yeah. Done. Simple, right? Not in this space. Uh, if you try and use them, you're going to get shut down. And so, in the 21st century, we use plastic. In the cannabis space and in the CBD space, people are still using checks and cash and money orders and right. wire transfers. Yep. And so, what what we're doing, and this is where really where Kevin is bringing a lot of like the boots on the ground influence is, you know, quality bank corp is, uh, uh, indirectly related to a licensed bank out of Europe, uh, okay. that Kevin's on the board with. Ah. And, and so, um, you know, I'm, I'm really proud that, you know, he's been able to mentor us. And again, he's not directly involved in any of the business, yeah. but he's able to facilitate, uh, some relationships, just connecting the dots. That's literally it. And critical. Yep. his relationships in Europe uh, has allowed us the opportunity to get a seat at the table um, at one of the largest cannabis-friendly banks in the world um, out of the EU. And what we're looking to position ourselves as and launch here, hopefully in the next 90 days, 120 mm. days, mm. is the first true, legitimate, cannabis-friendly merchant services. And we're not wow. going to charge seven or eight percent per transaction like All these right. other companies are doing. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do our best to work to get it. Now we're gonna be piloting this for the next ninety days to get that down to three point five, hopefully maybe even lower, uh, with no cap on how many transactions you can do. And this is huge. This is gonna really change the game for the industry. Wow. I mean, you got, yeah, three-legged stool you talked about. I mean, yeah. you're you're busy, my friend, because you got the lending. Now you got a retail brand that's coming from that. Now you're talking about merchant services. Holy cow. 
you know what the deal is now you're gonna have to hire a bunch of people which means you're gonna need like a really good recruiting that's firm. right i know one i know one uh yeah it, i know it, i got a guy <laughs> it's 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 called rider rider flex uh that's right. not sure if you not sure if you've heard of them now it sounds like uh you're man you're busy bro that you know that's what i love about you charlie you you are a flat out hustling entrepreneurial machine and you are you know hey you i've you know one thing works, it doesn't work, whatever, you just keep moving forward. And I got another idea. And that's what I love about you. You just keep moving yeah. forward. And you're not afraid, right? I mean, you will talk to anybody, you'll knock on any door, you'll, right. you'll, you'll take any meeting, like you are not, you're not scared. And you're not just sitting around like, okay, I'll just sit around and hope that money falls out of the sky <laughs> yeah yeah and you know, once we finish this cap raise you know i'm going to be giving you a call we're gonna we're gonna need to bring on some strategic people and Great. it's really hard i and if i had to do a plug for Rideflex, if i had to say something about your firm just my experience in working with you in the past i've worked with uh i've interviewed a lot of different recruiting firms and you guys by far put more time and energy and effort into providing the best quality recruits for your positions. And uh, I wish that I used you at my last company. I really appreciate did. No, I appreciate I appreciate the plug. I'm yeah. super happy for you, my friend. Congratulations. You. We got to have, we got to have some whiskey against bourbon, my friend. I know we, I would love you that. know, our, our very first happy hour, we were in uh, Arvada at a, at a little uh, bourbon whiskey bar. What was the name of that place? We had drinks. Oh yeah. The Arvada Tavern. Yeah, yeah, that was the, the tavern. That's right. We got it. We got to yeah. do that again soon, my friend. I would soon. love that. Soon. We'll get together. Great, great uh, job, Charlie. Congratulations on everything. You know, one more time, just for the listeners, qualitybandcorp.com. You can also go to zodiac-essentials.com or you can look up Charlie, Charles Cipriani on LinkedIn uh, if you're interested in any of those thing, things. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you being on the Rider Flex show. Thank you, Steve. Thank you.